All right, take your Bible, please. We're going to finish up this uh, three-part series on the preeminence of Christ. We're in Colossians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 24 to 29. Um, So as we're turning there, you see in Colossians 1, remember from verses 18 to, I mean, sorry, verses 15 to 18, we talked about the preeminence of Christ in creation, right? In verses 19 to 23, we talked about the preeminence of Christ in redemption. And now in verses 24 to 29, we're talking about the preeminence of Christ in the church. So let me read, uh, starting at verse number 24, then we'll pray. Paul writing here, I rejoice now in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Father God, thank you for, Lord, thank you for everything today. Thank you for a time of worship, prayer, communion, fellowship. Thank you, Lord, that you are in your house. We give you praise. But Lord, now we come into this place of the service where where this is a time when you speak to us through your word. I pray, Lord, help me to articulate the things you put on my heart to share this morning. Let it, let it have an effect on the hearer, both today, those here, those at home or wherever, and those later that may hear this through a video or through a podcast. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us powerfully. Let your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, let me talk about the word preeminence again, just a little bit. By preeminence, we mean superiority. The superiority of Christ. What I I found out on a website, it was called the Accepted in Christ Ministry. Their definition of preeminence says, uh, surpassing all others in authority, power, and status. So Jesus has no equal. He has no rival. There's no one and nothing higher than him. No one compares to him. He stands alone. And if you think about this larger passage of Scripture from verse 15 to 29, we're seeing three different aspects of Jesus. He's preeminent in creation. He created everything. He's preeminent in redemption. He provides redemption. And now he's preeminent in the church that he established with his blood. Do you get the picture? The big thing, creation, more specifically, redemption. And now in the church, 
He is preeminent in the body of Christ. Let me remind you what Paul told Timothy, that he said the church is the, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church is the vehicle or the vessel that God uses to present truth to the world all around us. Now, that doesn't mean everyone in the church, as, as we said some time ago, everyone uh, may be, uh, let's see, how do we say it? <laughs> everyone may be in the church, but not of the church. They may be like a chair in the church, uh, but they're not really in the, they're in the church, but not in, really in the church. But the church, the, the, the vessel of the church is the, the vessel that God uses to bring forth truth. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says this, that God the Father put all things under the feet of Jesus. Get the picture? All things are under the feet of Jesus and appointed him to be the head of the church, which is his body. So it's natural to think that Christ is preeminent in the church. It's his church. It's his body. He is the authority. So woe to the assembly or woe to the gathering of people that don't have Jesus as the head or Jesus as their authority. Woe to the assembly that doesn't have Jesus as the last word. And unfortunately, there are gatherings just like that where the authority is not Jesus and not the word of God. The authority is some person somewhere. But blessed is the assembly that comes together to worship him in spirit and in truth, surrendered to him, hearing what he has to say. With the understanding, as you know, Jesus is the word. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so he is... He has the surpassing authority and power and status. The people that worship God in that setting are in the right position to be changed and fixed and delivered and healed and empowered and helped by the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because they would understand who Jesus is. In other words, attending a gathering of the saints it's not a formality where something is just something that you have to do. No, it's, a, it's an opportunity to meet with the living and true God. I trust that we have that here. I, I said yesterday to our worship team as we had a little rehearsal, I said, I love gathering with God's people just to worship God together. It's an honor and a privilege to worship God together. So... Right now, I want to go through uh, these verses, verse by verse. It's a little bit late, I see. Um, After that, uh, I wanted to give you five implications uh, regarding the preeminence of Christ in the church. We may have to save that for next week. Let's see where we end up after we go through this verse by verse. verse. But if we we go through this, I'm reading from uh, New King James Version. I want to give you some things to think about. Now, verses 24 to 29, by the way. Um, the way I look at it is like Paul is like, I don't know. Uh, you, you ever hear, I heard, I told this story one time. My mother, mom, if you're listening, I love you. But when I was a kid, when I was young, I'd be sound asleep. And my mother would come in, she had a little southern accent. She'd 
pop open the shade and the sun would come in and blind my eyes. Rise and shine. Yeah. My, you're killing me. But anyway, this passage, Paul is like lifting up the shade and letting us look into his life, what it was really like to be him, and what really deeper, what it's really like to be a Christian, sold out to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The implications I want to get to kind of summarize what he's talking about. So if, if we're worshiping you know, Jesus as, as the authority, the ultimate you know, uh, authority, the Lord of lords and King of kings, we can't be the same. We have to change. We must surrender and allow him to work in us. And I wish I could tell you it, it could be done in a month or so, maybe a year, maybe five. Nah, I don't think it's ever really done. But he changes us from glory to glory if we stay on the potter's wheel. And then when we, it's our time, we, we, we graduate into his full presence. But anyway, let's look at verse 24. We're going to start right there. He says, I, I now rejoice in my sufferings. Does that, does that sound a little bit unusual to you? No one rejoices in sufferings. I don't. Ask my wife. She'll be happy to tell you. I have a hard time when I suffer. I think I'm going to die all the time anyway. But remember here, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome in prison. He wrote four epistles from prison. We call them the, uh, the prison epistles. Uh, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon. And he's saying, you know, I, I rejoice in my suffering. And then he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Uh, Colossians 4.10 alludes to the fact that he's in prison. But anyway, look at verse number 25. He, he has, he's a minister. Verse number 28, he's a preacher. And because of his ministry and his preaching, he's sitting in a prison cell. But he, said, uh, he says to them, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for you. Now, interesting little side note you may want to think about. In, in Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion story, right? What is he doing? He's persecuting the church. He's rounding them up, throwing them in jail, having them killed. He's a maniac. And Jesus interrupts his life, and he says something really profound. Jesus says something profound to Paul. He says, well, actually, Saul. Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting, not the church, me? Meaning, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. Because I own the church. I'm the head of the church. I'm the authority of the church. So when you hurt the church, you're hurting me. And so now Paul is saying, I, I now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, with the implication that as I'm suffering for you, I'm suffering for Jesus. And he says, I I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That's a little tricky. Maybe uh, translated different in different different, uh, translations. But what he's saying here is that I'm doing my part. I'm suffering for Christ. I'm filling in the gap. We, We must be suffering for the Lord. I'm doing my part to suffer for Christ. And I'm doing it for you. In Philippians 3, Paul said... I've given up everything that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection. So far, so good, right? 
Then he said, but I, I've given up everything that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. You mean we're supposed to suffer somehow, some, some way? Yeah, it's part of the arrangement that the Lord has given to us. So he says, okay, I, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking. I, I'm doing my part to suffer for Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. I think Paul had a revelation that as he was formerly persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. He became a minister, minister here meaning a servant, one called by God to serve God and to serve other people. And he became a minister uh, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Well, what does he mean by that? That's a little tricky statement. Well, he said, I became a minister according to the Uh, the administration or the dispensation of God upon my life. And I need to fulfill the calling that God put on my life. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, a paraphrase, I'm not one of the 12. I wasn't there at that time. I wasn't following the Lord then. I'm one like I'm one born out of time, but I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm a minister of the gospel. And he did call himself an apostle. And he says, I I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Well, what does he mean, fulfill the word of God? Well, there's two applications here. One is, he must have known Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples and teach and baptize people. He's fulfilling his calling. But in Acts chapter 9, when he was radically saved, uh, the Lord told him through Ananias, Paul, you're a chosen vessel. You will bear my name among the Gentiles, among kings, and among the children of Israel. And he's saying here in verse 25, I've got to fulfill my calling in life. I'm going to fulfill what the word of God says. Then he goes into verse number 26. And all these verses kind of explain each other as it, as it kind of progresses. I, I'm rejoicing in my suffering. I am a minister And this mystery, which is the word of God, this mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been made revealed to the, uh, now it has been revealed to the saints. Before I knew the reality of the cross, you know what, it seemed like a great mystery to me. I knew of it. I knew about the word a little bit, but it was like... I didn't get it. But the mystery has been revealed. Look at, let's see, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, um, attaining, to all, uh, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. Chapter 4, verse 3, it says, it says uh, something similar. It says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door for us for the word to... For the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Ephesians 3 says the same thing. He made me to know the mystery. Ephesians 6, 19. Pray that I would make known the mystery of the gospel. But now he's saying the mystery has been revealed to the saints in the church. We get it now. We understand the gospel is what he's saying. So he says... um, 
Well, I, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, we read a little passage that in previous times, God revealed his ways to the prophets. But now in these last days, he reveals himself through Jesus Christ. I mean, think of it. In the Old Testament, they had the law. And through the law, there was salvation. But nobody could keep the law. So what do you do with that? They couldn't see clearly what it was. But there's one coming who will, who, will, who will pay the price and one coming to be the Messiah. Well, then there were 400 years of silence. And finally, Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but we receive the spirit from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. This has been revealed to his saints, the church. Verse 26. So if we're going to apply this in our situation, the mystery of Christ, the veil has been lifted. We see what Christ was all about. Verse 27. To them, to the saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Don't forget, at this time, the Gentiles coming to faith was still a new thing. The Jewish Christians were still wondering about those Gentiles. They're unclean people. But Paul is saying, no, God called me to, to bring the message to the Gentiles, and God has called all the saints to minister to the Gentiles. And so this mystery among the Gentiles is really Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can you see the evangelistic nature of what he's saying? I see this as Christians can never be lackadaisical. They, we must be active in some way. Verse number 28, he says, it's him that we preach. The mystery is revealed. It's him that we preach. We preach Christ Jesus and him crucified. We preach God came in the flesh, his sinless sacrifice arisen on the third day. He defeated Satan and demons. If you look at the, the broader picture, starting at verse 15, chapter 1, we preach Christ in creation. Now you bring that to the world stage, and people are going to think you're a lunatic, because everyone believes in evolution and all these other things. But no, we preach that Christ was in creation. Christ created things. That's what we preach. We preach that Christ is in redemption, verse 19 to 23. It's Christ who saves. You're not going to get saved by, by getting smarter or richer or whatever you want to do. You're only saved by your relationship with Jesus Christ. And here, we preach Christ as the authority, the head of the church. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the first fruits of all that died. Look at verse number 15. He's the image of the invisible God. We preach that. Verse 19, it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Verses, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Hello? If you're in him, you're complete, you're, you're growing, you're mature, you have the answers to life, life's problems. In him who is the head of all principality and power. Those two words are important. Usually they're said in the context of the demonic world. But Jesus is the authority even over that. The powers and principalities. Jesus is the authority. 
And so Paul is, is, is proclaiming, look, it's Christ in the, it's Christ's church. We belong to him, the body of Christ. The word of God is Christ in us, working through us. And we preach him. Verse 28. I love verse 28. Because in our preaching, we don't tickle people's ears and give them motivational speeches. We warn men. We warn humanity. Judgment is coming. Jesus is real. You can't skate by the eyes of the Lord. Every now and then I mention one of my favorite preachers these days, uh, Robert Jeffries, Baptist preacher down in Texas, Dallas, I think. I'll tell you what. Now, now a few years, I was thinking about this. A few years ago, I may resurrect this sermon uh, regarding Halloween. If you were here, I think 2019 or 18, I preached a message about a Christian's response to Halloween. In that message, I remember sharing some things about the reality of hell and demons and grotesqueness and all of those things. And for the most part, the sermon went over pretty well, but there, I did get some flack from it. But let me tell you, that message was nothing compared to what Brother Jeffrey said. I heard him on a little podcast talking about the reality of hell. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how anyone could sit there and not run to the altar and get right with God, just knowing the reality of hell. So Paul's saying in verse 20, we preach Christ. We warn people. We're going to warn you. You can't live like that and expect to have eternal life. Of course, we have to realize that in our culture, most people aren't concerned about eternal life. They want heaven on earth right now. That's a whole other story. But we preach Christ who taught about heaven and hell, who taught about eternal things and values. And yes, it's absolutely contrary to our culture. But we preach Christ and we warn men. And then we teach, we teach everyone. So preaching has to have a teaching element in it. And uh, we, uh, we, we proclaim the somber things of God. We preach him. We preach the word. It's his church. Second Timothy 3 says that all scripture, the word of God, is breathed by God. It's God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It's profitable for reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. I had a situation recently where I went through the whole, a whole train of thought based upon the word of God by a so-called Christian person that would not hear what I had to say. And what I was saying was not my opinion, it was the word of God. This is a so-called Christian person that just rejected what the word of God said. What do you do with that? You wash your hands and just go your way. But we preach Christ and him crucified, and we, we preach you know, what the Bible says. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts through the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why when we hear the word of God, and there's a certain dynamic in the preaching of the word of God, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When you're in that dynamic of interaction with someone proclaiming the things of God, I mean, I've been there many times. I, I love to be there, actually. We're convicted it's cutting through our spirit and our flesh and our bones and marrow. It, it discerns our thoughts. And we thought we were doing well until we hear a, a strong word of God, and it cuts us. That's what Paul is saying. We're preaching him. 
We're proclaiming Christ. We're warning people, but we're teaching people. But he does say in verse 28, we're, we're teaching them with all wisdom. We're not just, not just bashing people. We're using wisdom to proclaim the things of God. So that we may present every man perfect. Not, not perfect in the sense of having no fault, but in right relationship with God. That would be, that's our goal. To, that's my goal as a minister of the gospel to present all of you and you on live stream to God, perfect in Christ. Now, you, you, know, you always say, you can't take anything to heaven with you. You ever hear that? Well, you can maybe take some souls with you. You know, I, Paul said, I want, to present, I want to present you to God. It may be because we're, we're, we're in a season right now in the church where uh, we've had a few memorial services. I have another one this afternoon, by the way. Um, when you're in the ministry and you get involved, you, you deal with a lot of things, a lot of troubles, a lot of hardships. You deal often with life and death. And it's only natural because at the end of the, at the, end of the life, everyone's wondering where do they go. Where they go depends on what they did while they were here. In our old church in Webster, wonderful lady, Christian lady, good person, good worker, supportive. And one day, you know, she came to church that morning. Um, I saw her. I didn't really talk to her. But that night she came, and at the end of the night, I said, hey, God bless you, Barbara. See you. That next morning, she had a flat tire. She's probably, at that time, probably around 40 she was changing her tire, and the people in her apartment complex didn't see her back there. Someone backed into her and killed her right on the spot. I always say, you never know what's going to happen. I know I sound fatalistic, but I think I've been around it so often that I, you never know what's going to happen. You know, things happen, and we have to be ready to meet the Lord at any point. So Paul says, look, I, we're preaching Christ. We're not preaching a feel-good message. Now, you might feel good. Yeah. I mean, I hope that people feel good after I preach, but not good in the sense of it's just, you know, happy, happy. I want you to feel good because you're right with God. You know, I, I don't want us to just feel good, but I want to feel good because we're right with God. And then it says in verse number 29, to this end I labor. Jesus said, work while it's day. Some of us don't want to think about being a Christian as a labor, but it is a labor. It is a work. Um... And so we preach Christ. I have a little note here, I should say it. We don't preach what's popular. We don't preach what's, uh, what's political. We don't see, preach uh, social you know, messages. We don't preach opinions. We preach what I would say the Mel Gibson depiction of Christ in the passion of the Christ, if you could relate. If you could sit through that movie, movie without being moved, you've got a hard heart. We showed it here a few times. People would just sit there in silence, weeping at the end. When that realization of who Christ is what was presented on a screen, and you could visually see it and feel it and sense it. That's the Christ that we preach. So we labor, Paul said. I labor towards this end. I strive according to his working, which works in me mightily. He's not really bragging about himself, but I think he knows the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when you receive power, 
from the Holy Spirit. You'll have, you'll have an anointing to be a witness for me. You'll be able to do things you wouldn't normally be able to do. It's not your strength. It's the strength of God working in you and through you. And Paul is saying, I'm working, I'm striving, I'm laboring, I'm working mightily because he's working through me. And what he's saying is, we all should be doing that. I like what he said in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, you know what? To the Jew, I became like a Jew so I could relate to them. To the one under the law, I could talk their lingo. To the one without the law, I could talk their lingo. To the weak, I could get into their world and relate to them where they're at. He became all things to all men, that that perhaps he may win some. That was the whole point, that he may win some. So here, this passage, I never saw it like this before, but 24 to 29, this is like the shade is lifted, the window's open. This This is Paul's heart right here. This is the heart of a Christian believer. Working, striving, laboring, not compromising, doing things for Almighty God. Amen? Amen. So what do I do now? I think I'm going to continue. The implications I want to talk to you about, but I will abbreviate it. The implications of this passage should be obvious. If they're, if, they're, if they're obvious, if they're in your life, in your, in your being, praise God. If they're not in your lives, then we need to reevaluate and question where we are with Christ. We maybe need to make some adjustments and surrender some things to the Lord. Here's the idea. If Christ is preeminent in the church, and I'm in the church, then Christ must be, be preeminent in my life. So I'm going to go really quickly right here. Is that okay? Can we do it in five minutes? Pray pray for me to do it in five minutes. There's five points. I got a minute for each point. I just lost ten seconds, but that's okay. The first thing is suffering. The implication is, if Christ is preeminent in your life, and Christ is preeminent in the church, we should be suffering in some capacity or another. Paul said, I gave up everything that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians 3. Hebrews 12, Jesus said, for the, uh, it said of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. But there's joy and there's shame. And Paul's saying, I, I, I rejoice in my suffering. I mean, think the greater question is, how do we suffer for Christ today? Well, we're not going to get arrested, I don't think. But how about standing up for Jesus, standing up for the church, standing up for the word of God in a public arena? How about taking some verbal abuse or emotional abuse? Or how about feeling belittled sometimes because of your position on certain issues that the Bible is so clear on? How about sacrificially giving your hard-earned money, and we're all in the same boat here, to support our missionaries over there? Those are our brothers and sisters. How about giving your hard-earned money to support paying the heat bill over here? How about sacrificially, you know, doing something for someone, helping somebody, making somebody a meal, giving somebody a ride? How about praying publicly? I don't know if you're ever in a restaurant and you see people praying. Doesn't that bless you? We should all do that. 
we don't have to make a big show of it, but you know what? Pray for your food. Even in, your, in front of your family. You know, I have these friends in New York I visit when I, when I can, when I visit down there. A couple of years ago, we started having breakfast together every, you know, every five months or so, whatever. And I said, wait, hey, guys, before we eat, can I pray? And they said, yeah, sure, we, yeah, we'll pray. And we pray, I prayed. But now when I go down there and we have breakfast, they don't even touch their food until I pray. They look at me like, going to pray? <laughs> it's such a blessing. I'm just saying, it was suffering, but now it's a blessing. I'm just, I'm just raising the question, are you doing any suffering for the Lord? Here's number two, another implication, verse 25. He became a minister. Now, I'm not saying uh, a minister meaning a servant, someone who serves. Um, I'm not saying, you know, you have to be up here preaching the word of God, but a ministry, having some type of ministry, uh, blessing someone, uh, making food for someone, like I said before, volunteering for the kids, uh, the kids ministry or the nurse, nursery or cleaning the church or whatever. Paul said in 2 Timothy 5, if we're a new creation, you know, we're, all things are made new. But with that new creation, we have now been given a ministry. The ministry is, as an ambassador for Christ, we're pleading with others to be reconciled to God. So what is your ministry? No, you're not going to be a pastor. You're going to have a title. You're not going to do anything like that necessarily, maybe. But right now, what are you doing to influence people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is your ministry? I'm just going to move right along here. Number three is this. The implication is, verses 26 and 27, if you're saved, it's like someone turned the light on in your spirit and you get it. The mystery is revealed. You're out of darkness. You're in the light. But now you are called by God in some way or another to reveal this mystery to the Gentiles, to somebody that doesn't know. Christ in you is the hope of glory. I'll guarantee you, everybody in this room has somebody in your life that is not serving Jesus Christ. It could be our family, co-worker, friend, whatever, neighbor. But there's somebody that we could influence. They may be confused like I was before. Or maybe like you were. I knew about Christ. It was cloudy. I didn't get it. Someone had to sit down and explain to me what it was about. But if the, if the mystery has been revealed to you... You are now commissioned to make that mystery known to somebody else. Here's number four. Preach. Preach. You're all called to preach. Proclaim might be a better way to explain what he's saying. But, but again, not from a pulpit necessarily, but, but preach Jesus by how you live what you do and what you don't do. Where you go, where you don't go. What you buy, what you don't buy. You may have heard this expression. I put it on the, on the sign out front a few years ago, and someone said, you should never put that up there. It's not the word of God. I said, I know it's not the word of God, but it's a catchy little saying. And I haven't put it back since, but I might do it this week. But anyway, the saying is, preach the word of God. And if necessary, use words. It's not, it's not a scripture. It's not a scripture. It's a sentiment. It's a sentiment. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's how we preach Christ. By how, man, I'll tell you what, we would probably do a whole lot better if we lived it instead of trying to say it. Just live for Christ. That's preaching Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The last thing is, and I am abbreviating. Every one of these points could be a whole other message in and of itself. You know how I am. But anyway, I'm abbreviating. Verse, uh, implication number five is verse number 29. To this I, I labor. Well, I don't want to do that. It's too much work. Well, Jesus said, work while it's day. Paul said, don't grow weary in well-doing. You'll, you'll reap what you sow. He said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in God. We had a superintendent in the Assemblies of God a few years ago. He would encourage all the pastors to work while it's day. He says, some of you, you don't, you don't need a day. You, you don't need to do that. You need to work for the kingdom of God. It wisely, of course. But a lot of Christians don't want to hear that word like it's a bad word. Paul said, I'm, I'm working, I'm laboring, I'm striving. What he's saying is, this is the most important thing in my life. I'm going for it. Not in my own strength. The Holy Spirit's with me. He's empowering me. He's working mightily through me. Paul knew exactly who he was. He also said in another place, he's one of the biggest sinners of all. So it's not like he's all proud. He's just saying, I, I'm redeemed. I used to persecute Christ in the church. Now I'm fighting for Christ in the church. And I'm doing my best to win souls to the kingdom of God. Amen. All right, just in summary, that last slide. Just If, if Christ is preeminent in the church, then he's going to be preeminent in each one of our lives. We'll be engaged in some type of suffering with an undercurrent of joy, knowing it's the right thing to do. Have you ever been there? Really, think about it. You're doing the right thing. It's not going over very well. And you might be ridiculed for it, but deep down inside, you're good because you know it's the right thing. There's a joy that you stood up for what, what the word said or whatever the case was. Suffering with joy and satisfaction. Two is being involved in some type of ministry. You know, something you can do, either in the church or outside of the church. Some of you, the greatest ministry you could have is loving your spouse or your, 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 uh, your loved one who's not, who has health problems or, or ministering to your family, your children. That's a great ministry. Do it with all you can for the glory of God. I'm not saying, you know, there's many ways of having ministry, but do something where, where you know God is using you to touch another person's life. The third one is this, reveal the mystery. Man, I don't know about you. Growing up in my house, dinner times were always a platform for everybody's opinion to come out, sometimes all at once. Can you relate? Everybody had, and then my father had to say, enough is enough, everyone be quiet. But, 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 no, no, no. Listen, you're sitting down at a table, you're eating, whatever you're doing, you're at work. God may kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, now's the time to reveal the mystery. That person needs to know what you know. 
That person needs to know that their addiction can be overcome through Jesus Christ. That person needs to know that their marriage could be resolved, could be healed. That person needs to know that their past doesn't control them anymore. You know that because that's you. And you need to reveal that mystery to somebody that God's putting in your path. That's why Paul said on a few different occasions, he said, pray that that God would open up a door of ministry that I could reveal the mystery to people. That was his goal in life, to reveal the mystery. He was crystal clear on what the mystery was. And then I'll just, the last one is to preach Christ. Preach Christ. Preach Christ, oh, and labor labor for Christ. There we go. Oh, <laughs> okay. So that's that's a hint that it's time to wrap it up and go have lunch, right? Go eat some peaches, have some fruit, have some uh, meatballs and lasagna and have some <laughs> How'd that get by me? I don't know how that got by me. I, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was looking at. <laughs> All right, so look, let, let's try to get this. the The implication of what Paul is saying, let, let me, let's wrap it up. Suffering for Christ, getting involved in a ministry, revealing the, mini- revealing the mystery, eat peaches, no, preach, <laughs> and, and labor for the Lord. It's a sacrificial labor for the Lord. It's never going to be easy to do what we have to do. Let me ask you this. Do you think it's easy for me to preach a message every week? You might think, oh, he just wakes up and preaches a message. Ask my wife. It's a labor. It's a labor of love, but it is a labor. I have to tell you. Wednesday night, that doesn't just come off the top of my head, believe me. There's a labor going involved to prepare to do what I have to do. That's for all of us. Just, it's a labor, but it's a labor of love. And we have the Holy Spirit working in us to help us accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. Let's stand together. We have to wrap this up. The preeminence of Christ in the church. I'll leave you with this thought. If, if you ever go somewhere when, when the preeminence of Christ is not in the church, my counsel is leave. And go somewhere else where Christ is preeminent in that assembly or that gathering. You know the story, I shared this on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. David Wilkerson, someone who's now deceased, but a great man of God, was ministering to a young Christian musician, rock Christian musician. And the young man asked David Wilkerson to come to one of his concerts. To, to get a feel for it. He wanted David's approval. And uh, as the story goes, they were ministering and everything was happening. They, at that time in the 80s, they had smoke machines and strobe lights and they were singing Christian music. And David Wilkerson was there. He started to scream, Ichabod! Meaning, God, the glory of God has departed. Ichabod. And no one could even hear what he had to say. It was so loud and confusing. He ran out of that place. I'm just saying, sometimes we have to remove ourselves from something that may supposedly be Christian, and it's really not. 
Christ isn't preeminent in that. Leave. It's okay to leave. (laughs) All right, every head bowed for just a moment. Uh, Doug will be ministering in song, but as as we close out today, I'm going to just... I'm going to ask you if, if there's anyone here that needs to make things right with God or to reestablish some priorities with God before you walk out the door or before you go get some coffee back there, just come to the altar and give God a few moments of your time to speak into your life. Make him preeminent in your life. Doug, if you would lead us. As you feel so led, if you want to come during the song, that's fine. We're going to wrap it up in just a few moments. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We worship and Let's all gather around real quick if we can. We're going to close out right now. Father, we love you. 
Lord, we glorify your name on the earth and our prayers that we would glorify your name in our lives, not just on Sundays, but every day. Lord, let there be an awakening. Let there be a stirring. Let there be something going on in the spiritual realm where we begin to see things that aren't right and we make them right with you and maybe with others. Oh God, Lord, help us to follow the example of Paul in that passage. Let us enter into the sufferings and into the ministry and let us reveal the mystery and let us uh, preach Christ in our lifestyle and let us enter into the labors of the Lord. Help us, Lord, to do that. Father, I pray, and right now I commission everybody here, everyone on live stream, that this week everyone's going to do their part to say something to somebody that would prick their heart in a, in a good way and cause them to think and ponder the things of God. And Lord, maybe next Sunday we'd see 5, 10, 15 new faces because someone has been touched by a believer in Jesus Christ. Lord, isn't that what you want us to do? Isn't that what this passage is about? That we would be able to reveal the mystery to the Gentiles, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, we know so many people that need the hope of Christ. And Lord, we, we don't want to do it alone. Like Paul, we want to go in the anointing of your spirit. Lord, even now, prepare somebody's life, somebody's mind, somebody's situation to hear what we would have to say. Lord, let us not be shy and timid. Let us not be fearful. Let us step out in faith and in our own personality, in our own way, share the things of God that we know are true, that somebody needs to hear. So Lord, I, I thank you. We commission everyone into your care and, and, and your work. We pray for a harvest of souls in these last days. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're just going to worship the Lord a little bit. If you've got to go, God bless you. But we're going to linger here at the altar. And uh, God bless you. If you have kids downstairs, make sure you pick them up. Jesus. Let's be just in case. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Holy.